welcome back, uh, or just welcome if it's your first time. Today, we've got another really interesting, but also really important topic that every marketer needs to be thinking about, considering, or, or founder, um, and that is tech stacks and how to pick new tools to add to your business. Today, I've got Derek Haney with me. Derek is the chief e-commerce technologist at ecommercetech.io, where you can get loads of unbiased comparisons and reviews of all the leading tools out there. It's always really tempting to pick up a latest tool to emerge or even just one that you hadn't really heard of before. Um, and the ideas are flowing on the potential you could get from it. But it's really important to, to really give it some thought. You know, do you need this tool? Can you manage this tool? And is it actually the right tool for your business? We'll find out the answer to those questions in just a minute. Hi, Derek. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background and, and why you do what you do? Yeah, where to begin? Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it all started in college when I was playing poker. Uh, my freshman year, all my friends went home and I decided to pick up an online poker book, learn how to play online poker, launched my 10-year career in playing high stakes poker. And I know you're thinking, how does this have anything to do with e-commerce? They're actually fairly related in a, in a few different ways. A couple of skills you kind of pick up along the way is really about making decisions, making investments, and looking for weaknesses and strategies or gaps and stuff like that. So uh, after poker, I created a card game simulator. I started an agency with my wife. We worked with a few dozen different brands in e-commerce and outside of e-commerce. One of those brands decided to hire me for a full-time internal role where we grew subscribership to about half a million subscribers um, of a physical product. So it was a beauty box subscription. And then from there, I went to an e-commerce tech company where I was now selling to merchants. And between those two things, I had seen a lot of struggles and of course, running the agency. All the while, my job was really becoming about understanding the tools and opportunities in the industry and letting my team execute on it. And so I become really passionate about understanding the Shopify app ecosystem. From there, I noticed that there are a lot of great technologies and they were really good partners with each other. Even some competitors in the Shopify app ecosystem would be friends and talk about the industry at large. And that kind of excited me. And I said, how can I foster this community that's clearly growing while providing a lot of value to merchants about some of the differences between these technologies? And so that's what led me to start ecommercetech.io, where we connect e-commerce teams with the right e-commerce tools. We uh, do free audits and consultations for merchants to understand the tools in their tool stack and what's going to bring them value today, what resources in their company can actually execute on it. You know, it's a, there's a lot of kind of decision hierarchy here in, in saying, if you hit this you know, revenue threshold, then you might unlock this kind of powerful tool for your business. If you have low average order value, then you have these limitations on your tool stack, et cetera, et cetera. So like kind of plugging in what type of business, where the business is at with the, uh, the overall tool ecosystem and, and helping merchants uncover, it's really just a passion of mine and it turned into a business um, that we're still working hard to build out. So so that's why I do what I do, I guess. Oh, awesome. That sounds really good. Um, obviously, loads of experience there, which is amazing. Um, so talking about marketing tech stacks then um, and, and picking new tools, maybe are there any kind of, I guess, misconceptions around various tools? Like, do you see, do you see any sectors which are kind of overhyped or underhyped? The well, one thing I would say so SMS marketing is super hot right now. It's super important, and it's honestly a easy revenue in incremental revenue boost to any business. So if you're doing a million a year, you could expect to do easily an extra fifty thousand to a hundred thousand. I'd say probably at least fifty. I'd say about fifty thousand. I'd feel pretty confident if you add SMS and nothing else changed in the business, should be able to make an extra fifty thousand in the business. Right, that's about five percent increase, incremental conversion rate increase that's important and and that is um and that that's why sms is a very important part of the tool stack and i end up recommending it a lot to merchants and i also recommend merchants kind of look into doing it better because i don't think people are actually doing it that well either but when we talk about technology industries and hype uh, companies like attentive and emotive which are great sms providers as well as you know sms bump getting acquired postscript has raised a lot of money and there are other players in the space their valuations seem a bit extreme to me if i'm being honest i think attentive raised like a hundred million dollars which kind of implied like a a near billion dollar valuation and i'm just looking at the size of the market and what that means and i'm like yeah there's money to be had here and yeah it's working but like that seems like a high valuation so i don't know if it's overhyped so much as 
um, over-invested in. But uh, I do believe that um, this is very good for uh, the merchant. Uh, so having the money flood the market is good for the merchant. It's not good for the investor. Eventually, the bottom will come out or will reach the maximum size of this market. And I don't think that maximum is as high as investors are, are expecting it to be. So that, that that's one on the uh, overhyped side. Again, still very much of a, a huge fan of of Messenger. On the undervalued, I'm seeing uh, technologies like augmented reality, which has been, you know, it was hyped in the past, so it was overhyped. And now it's like kind of being overlooked, especially when we've got retailers moving online. Um, and, and now you have to fit your clothes or your, you know, home goods into your home before you really want to purchase them. Uh, so 3D modeling and augmented reality really helped there. And then um, I'm also seeing an undervaluation of live selling and social commerce tools. And I'm seeing, uh, and the biggest one, this is definitely the biggest one, um, the really innovative company called Price Stack. And there's a few other players in this price testing st um, space, but there is, there's, there's so much money. There's millions of dollars, billions of dollars across the industry to be unlocked when it comes to properly testing the prices on the store. And with new advancements in machine learning and augmented reality, these are like snap your fingers, easy wins. So I'm pretty excited about that space. That would be my biggest undervalued space for sure. I've definitely not, not really come across that much. Um, haven't heard about it much. No one really talks about it, um, but I can definitely see the value there. You know, if you can just test your pricing quite easily and find out what that sweet spot is, um, that can be really valuable. I'm a big, big fan of SMS marketing. I've I've used it a lot over the years and it's worked really, really well. I guess it's one that marketers maybe just don't understand properly a lot. Um, you tend to get a lot of people just blasting promotions and then a lot of marketers who, who just don't don't bother. Maybe the cost comes into it a little bit. It is It is a bit more expensive than email marketing. Um, yeah, and I think the this is where Emotive is getting, a, I mean, they must be getting a good valuation. Pretty sure they publicly raised about 30 million recently. And I demoed their tool recently and they do, the, the thing that's unique to them is they kind of have a higher starting price point, but that's because they give you a dedicated customer success manager and they actually have people managing the texts. So as opposed to just being a blast, it's a two-way conversation with individuals and you have this basic flow that the that these people that these uh people will follow i forget what they're called they're they're like uh sms success man i don't know what they're called um but they they basically say you know if, if it's a beer company they go you know hey what what's your favorite type of beer is it you know ales is is it ipas you know and then the person responds they go oh well here's our six pack of this ale um what do you do you think uh what, what do you think about it you know and they might ask a few more questions and then they answer with some fl flavor profile you know solutions and then boom the person is having a conversation that leads to selling and the brand doesn't have to think about this because that's the big scary part is if you have to do this internally there's it's kind of feels like a to set up. So having somebody there to manage it makes a lot of sense. That could be a really, really good way of using SMS, um, which obviously a lot of companies don't. Actually having that conversation, almost using it like a customer support channel um, rather than just a one-way like SMS That's, that's what we're missing right now. And maybe that's the other undervalued and maybe that's the most undervalued component to uh, all of e-commerce is is uh, conversational commerce, which you know has been a buzzword for a while, but actually doing it at scale is a, is a bit scary. If you've got 10,000 customers a month, that's a lot of conversations to manage. And then you have to validate the ROI of that as, as well as its impact on margin and all of those things. So um, yeah, but it's, it's definitely an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the key things a brand needs to be thinking about when they're actually selecting these new tools? Um, I guess particularly... When you look at the marketplace and you see three or four different tools that that do the same thing, are there any kind of key tips on how you can work out what it is that actually is the right tool for your business? Yeah, and um, certainly with the increased competition in the market, there's a lot more feature overlap between tools. So it's getting a bit more convoluted and you reach this moment of choice paralysis where it doesn't feel like either choice is um, is is wrong. And so you decide not to choose anything. And that's really um, an unfortunate spot to be in and kind of part of the reason why why I my company needs to exist and help guide those decisions in, in some ways and, and, and help inform on them. So the, the first in, um, 
I guess the first immediate clarifying factor is, is this an enterprise solution? Is this a bottom of market solution? Does it scale as I grow? So if you're, let's say you're a small brand and you expect to be small for the next five years, you should be investing in a, you know, a relatively low end tool that doesn't cost that much and doesn't have all the bells and whistles. It doesn't need to be that fancy. But let's say you're a small brand, you launched a Kickstarter and you got 500,000 from that Kickstarter and you're thinking you can do 3 million next year and then 10 million the year after. Well, now you should be investing in a scalable solution so that you don't have to switch providers later on. And you might actually have to pay a little bit more upfront than you want to, but you know that um, you know, you'll be able to, let's say, go up, um, go up a tier in pricing and unlock some important features in six months or a year or something like that. And then, of course, if you're an enterprise solution, you can't be looking at those SMB tools. You're looking for that dedicated account manager. You're looking for uh, deeper integrations and things like that. So really, the first clarification is like, what size market does this cater to? Every tool will tell you they cater to every side of the market usually. So you have to look at cues like pricing and what types of tools they integrate with and the the logos of the brands that are on their homepage and a few things like that um, to to indicate that one. The next thing. Yeah, I know it's... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, with um, with pricing, I think one big indicator between like, big and small is uh, whether you have to request a demo or a request a, you know, a quote or a contact versus the ones that you can basically just sign up for and crack on yeah. with. Yeah. Free trial versus request a demo is, is a big one. And if the pricing isn't on the site, it pretty much always means it's an enterprise tool. Um, two dead yeah. giveaways for sure. And then if the, of course, if they're asking for an annual contract, it's going to be a bit more upmarket as well. And I try to avoid pretty much all tools with annual contracts, unless there's some sort of real reason for us to be in an annual um, contract kind of situation, which would the real, the only reason to be in an annual contract is if that company has to put in a lot of work up front that will only pay off at the end. Um, and so otherwise, like if I just have to install the tool and get going, you know, on my own and I'm doing all the work, then really there's no reason for the contract because there's no risk on the, their side. Um, and I'm paying them, Fairly, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The second most important thing is definitely integrations. So once you've kind of narrowed down based on pricing, you need to say, does this integrate with the rest of the tools in my tool stack? And how deep are these integrations? Some integrations are very surface level or one way, or maybe don't pull in all the data points you need, or don't push, uh, you know, every 15 minutes or every hour. It depends on exactly what you're looking for. But Make sure that a tool, especially like an SMS tool, since we're talking about SMS so much, it needs to be integrated with your email service provider, your review program, your loyalty program, um, obviously your Shopify store so that it can pull your product catalog feed and dynamically populate uh, checkout URLs and things like that. Um, so, so it needs deep, robust integrations. And it needs to use them uh, intelligently. Dynamic discount codes is another important thing for things like an SMS provider. So, so that should narrow down the options yet again. Um, then, of course, we're going to move to uh, actual features and functionality, which is just like, does it have the right bell and shiny whistle that I need? Um, do I need a pop-up tool with this or can I use my existing pop-up tool? Right. That's that's a kind of a common one because that, that overlaps into lots of different spaces. Um, you know, is it one way com- uh, commerce or two way commerce? Um, does it, uh, we already said dynamic discount code. Does it offer dynamic discount codes? Am I planning on using dynamic discount codes? Um, how do I increase my, you know, abandoned cart recovery rate? Does it offer split testing? Do I need to use split testing? Do I have enough volume to care about split testing? Do I have enough resources to care about split testing? Um, and, and then also the, we talked a little bit about pricing there, but also the feature gating of price of the prices is also sometimes a factor here where some of the features you want are for some reason at a higher gate level. I'm reminded of Okendo, which is a review tool with this. They have a great $50 a month plan, but if you want their Clavio integration, which is a really robust integration for them, it's $100 a month, I think, maybe even $200. And I'm like, crap, Like I want that at the low tier. Give, give the value at the low tier <laughs> for that integration. And so sometimes people just have um, what I consider a little bit odd or arbitrary um, feature gating components based on price. And... Um, that can limit us. And then nev- never listen to, by the way, the salesperson that says, oh, we're going to have XYZ feature coming soon. You got to buy technology based on what they have right now. I would say that there, a smaller factor is 
what is the growth of the company and the resources. So like, have they received investment or funding? Because those will be indicators of how fast features may grow and how much they're staying on top of the market. In some a place like the Shopify app ecosystem that has over 6,000 apps in the store and grows at 60 apps per week, uh, you get uh, about 59 out of those 60 apps are what I would call like two guys in a garage, right? It's like somebody that just wanted to launch one really small, simple feature or tool. They're all in some ways hoping to like get get rich off of this and they are not going to maintain it well. They're not going to update it as, as software and code changes and, and things like that. So you're looking for for tools that will you know be stable and grow with you and not add any security risks or uh, you know a possible downtimes to the site and things like that, which means you want to look at funding and growth rate as well. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, there's really valid, valid points there, um, especially around security. Actually, um, I think maybe people don't. It just it, maybe it's just something that doesn't come to mind, especially for a marketer, I suppose who. Who would maybe consider that say that's a product or, or tech team thing to deal with? Um, but I suppose it depends on the size of the company, doesn't it? Um, well, I think everyone should be concerned about security. The smaller you are, the less you have to lose. But it, you know, I mean, getting hacked at a hundred k in revenue, a million in revenue, ten million in revenue, and a hundred million in revenue has a different cost associated with it. But in uh, the lo- the smaller cases, probably means the business goes out of business. In the bigger cases, it's just a big cost of the business, and you usually have the value, the the opportunity to push through it. There's um there's this tool called Rewind, which I do recommend for pre- all Shopify stores, helps do backups and security. And I talk with their team about how they typically end up selling their product. And they say, unfortunately, pretty much all sales calls go like this. They just got hacked or their site just went down or they just lost their entire product catalog. They come to us realizing that it's too late. We can't do anything for them, but they install us to prevent the next time, you know, something goes wrong. And so sadly, it's always security is like a too late kind of thing. If you're not really planning ahead to prevent it, it's it ends up becoming this build up risk. And then once it hits you once, you're like, okay, security should be a serious part of my business. Yeah, I think um, I've read the, the Adweek uh, copywriting handbook not too long ago. And I think there was an example in there about security. And he said, generally, it was really difficult to sell these burglar alarms and things unless there was a a burglary within the neighborhood. And then suddenly people would be like, "Okay, this kind of hit home, even though it didn't happen to me. It happened to someone I know and I'm close to. So now I need to get on on it. So obviously, unfortunately, with the Shopify, with those sites, if if they've already been hacked, it's a bit too late. Um, But you can you can stop the next one. Um, But you'd like to think that if they're hearing about these big like big hacks or hacks on companies they're either like close to or or just big names it would kind of prompt them to go okay maybe we need to actually look into this yeah. but i think from from my experience it tends to be things like gdpr which cause that like the big regulations where suddenly it's a we have to do this because legally we'll be in trouble if we don't that's what then kicks off the whole security talk yeah i think gdpr got a little bit of security tightening around personally identifiable information, but that doesn't really prevent the hacking of your Shopify store or somebody injecting code. Or just for example, unfortunately, there is a serious phishing scam going around right now for Shopify store owners. These scammers are sending what appears to be an email from Shopify saying that you need to like reset your password. And it looks just like the Shopify email. They obviously know what it looks like. And if you fill that information in, your account will get hacked like instantly and you will have a big regret. And if you've got enough collaborators on your account, this is like, you know, a big risk that somebody will accidentally fill this form out. I I looked at it and I had to be certain that, you know, I was like, do I need to respond to this? It looks really real until you look at the email from field, right? And and that's the only way you can really ascertain that it's um, it's not from Shopify. And and so there's you know between phishing, phone call phishing is also definitely a big thing. You know, hi Will, this is John from Shopify, and I saw your account just got hacked. I'm going to need to get your you know permission in order to get back in. It's like people are really doing this and. And so they're they're out there. The attackers are are in our neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's just um, so a few things you can do to prepare. I think using um, password managers and actually uh, random passwords for everything 
changing them frequently, especially when adding or removing new team members to your company. And then also two-factor authentication everywhere, mandatory. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. At, um, in fact, the last company that I was in-house at, we had a probably quarterly basically test where they would uh, they would send out an email to everyone in the company um, requesting something. Um, it was very rarely like reset your passwords, but it might be something like um, from the CEO. The CEO is saying, uh, can you go to the store, uh, grab a bunch of gift cards or something yep, and just, and just bring them in. So something that at the end of the day, if someone did it, would be relatively harmless because the company can just reimburse them. Um, but they made the point that, you know, it was a, I think it was it was probably quarterly, just just to test, and then they would email around the around the results and say like this is how many people um, identified it as phishing, this is how many people actually clicked it, um, and just kind of reinforcing that point that everyone needs to be aware. It's uh it it it's a serious component to your business, and like we we've said, like you don't realize how serious it is until you're being held hostage by a scammer. Um, yeah, I suppose on that note, actually, are there any ways to assess that in advance when, when you're looking for that new tool? Like, so you want to talk about the value of tools in general or just security tools? Uh, sorry, oh, let, me, let me rephrase yeah. that. Assessing how secure a tool is. You know, I don't know that there is. There should, there should be an app for that. Maybe I'll create that app, actually. Um, it's a third-party um, kind of like a, yeah, security assessment tool that that says, hey, we've looked at how they store their data and how you log in and how this operates on the site. And it appears to have no security flaws. Um, I don't think there is, I I wonder if Rewind is really one of the only tools in the security space. So if they don't do it, then I don't know who would. I'm like looking through their their pricing or or their their product right now. But, um, you know, what I'm usually looking for is... um, size of the, the company growth rate, is this an established merchant or is this just a guy who probably doesn't you know, have any security protocols in place? They just created a backend database and a front-end app and got approved by the Shopify app store. They, there are minimum requirements for getting approved by the app store, but at the end of the day, once that data is in the hands of that person, that person has some power on what they could do with it, how they might leak it or share it. Um, you know, there, and so is that person well-trusted? Is that company well-trusted? Yeah. What are some of the big mistakes brands make when looking for these new tools? Definitely the biggest mistake is shiny object syndrome. So you go to an event, you hear about it online, you see something cool in a video and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I got to download that. I got to install it. I got to start using it right away. And you didn't really think about the rollout of this tool, the cost and investment from the company standpoint, who in the company would manage it, how it fits into your stack, et cetera, et cetera. So you buy the tool, it sits there, you pay for it monthly, and it doesn't return on invest for on investment for you. And then you uninstall it and you leave a one-star review saying, this tool sucked, it didn't do anything for me. So this is the, this is the common like entrepreneur's uh, <laughs> problem in that. And this is one of the reasons why I don't believe uh, um, reviews are a particularly good way of analyzing uh, whether a technology would be beneficial for you. Um, and so, so to avoid shiny object syndrome, you need to do the opposite, which is have a plan and have your finger on the pulse of the technology space. Once you know, um, you know, a majority of the tools and opportunities for you and you can understand when you hit certain levels of growth, when you hire a head of marketing, when you hire a customer service manager, when when you hire a head of operations, these are all time moments that kind of unlock certain tool growth potential. And you need to think about how you might invest into the um, into the growth of those people or the power of their roles with technology, um, as opposed to just kind of like, you know hoping that you find an extra 30 minutes a day to manage a messenger marketing tool, for instance, even though your plate is already very full and you're a solopreneur. It's like, where are you going to find the time to do that? And then it's like, well, if it's a cornerstone of your business, yeah, sure, you'll find the time. But if it's just icing on the cake, it's just something that you're you're throwing on top of the rest of your work, probably going to fail. 
um, wait until you have more resources. So I think that the biggest mistake being shiny object syndrome and the biggest, uh, the biggest solution, the best way to make sure that you don't just go get pulled in a hundred different directions or install. I've seen somebody install 12 tools at once. And sadly it was because they watched my event. So I just, they discovered all these cool tools. They installed them. Then we had a consult and I said, whoa, 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 whoa uninstall these. Let's create a map where you can launch and invest in each one individually. You'll get that plate spinning, get it up and running. Once that proves ROI, get the next one up and running, get get the next one up and running. But can you really maintain these 12 tools in a way that's going to be profitable for your business? The tools, most of the time, tools require an investment the same way that a hammer requires a hand to hit the nail, right? It's it's not like um, most of them are not set and forget. There are a few that operate in a, fair, a high scalability capacity, but most of the time, it's um, you're gonna it's gonna leverage some form of actual work uh, in order to get the success it needs, including like tr- things like traffic. So it's some a lot of tools need a lot of traffic to make a lot of money, um, and so people with low traffic end up um, really disappointed in the success of that tool and over investing in how much time it costs them to to keep uh, that tool and maintain it. Yeah, and I suppose with a lot of these tools, there's always the optimization as well. So you can't, yeah, like you said, you can't just set it up and leave it. You set it up with what you initially do. And then maybe a month down the line, you need to actually reassess it and see if it's actually working for you and maybe change something or or set up a split test if if there is that function. Um, yeah, I the testing is always important and... I see it consist. We we earlier talked about undervalued. Split testing is probably also one of the most undervalued components of all of e-commerce. I don't know why merchants are so um, neglecting of something that is so high value, but like basic split testing on things like your product image, which product image is shown first on the product detail page. Um, you know, how is shipping information displayed? How is sizing information displayed? Um, what, you know, what is the timing of the pop-up? What should the pop-up say? You know, things like that. What should that abandoned cart text message say? And and how do we convince people to purchase? Um, all of those things need to be tested. Now, the, the good news is, is that, uh, and, and it depends on the size of the site, but I, I think anything over 20,000 visitors a month or over 200,000 in revenue should have fl- split testing built into to the store. Um, as long as you've got just a little bit of resources to invest it, but it'll also help starting a little early like that as a brand because it puts split testing squarely as a cornerstone of the business. Whereas if you wait to $2 million and then you hire a marketer, you're like, oh, we've never done split testing before and kind of have to go backwards and and make it a part of your business, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it kind of comes back to what you said a bit about um, set and forget like these things around like which which banner works best or which images work best for your products. It's easy to just set those banners up. Um, they start, you know, they are, those pages are generating revenue, they're working. Uh, and so it's easy to just leave them and think everything's okay. Whereas once you introduce split testing, you're suddenly kind of committing to, um, you know, a, a bit of work on every single one of those tests, probably once a month depending on the size of the business could be more. So suddenly it's, it's gone from an app that you just switch on and it just drives, it just generates you money to an app, which is now requiring uh, work every, every month. And so like you said, it comes down to like, have you got the resource? Can you actually manage these, these apps or do you need to wait a bit? And honestly, I think another limitation is that people don't know how to split test. They're like, I'm going to just see if the button, if the red button works better than the blue button. I'm like, that's that's like the last thing you test. That's like number 77 on the list of things to test. Like, how about you test the headline or the image or the or even you know what you're collecting? What what is the offer? Uh, the post per, you know the post email collection follow up sequence and so forth and so on are are way more valuable than changing the button color, but. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, most tools do require some form of mate, what I, I typically just call maintenance, which is like ongoing resource investment. And typically, if you're paying for a tool, you should be analyzing the results of it, which is part of that maintenance cost. So just seeing what the ROI from it is. But certainly, 
Um, the good news about like a tool going back to SMS is that having SMS versus not is the first major incremental increase in conversion rate. And then finding what message works and what timing works, that gets you just a little bit further. So maybe, you know, we, we talked about getting 5% more revenue. There might be another two to possibly 5% uh, in revenue gains to unlock through split testing. So you can gain, you know, just a bit more on top of having it set up and running. Um, and sending out those, you know, monthly broadcasts and responding to the inquiries that come in through SMS being the ongoing maintenance. Yeah, exactly. And it, I mean, depending on what you're working on, but split testing with a, with SMS, for example, doesn't really take that long. You're effectively just writing another SMS and setting it up. Um, the, honestly, a, the hardest part is figuring out what you should test and what you should test first. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it, it is a bit more difficult with on-site testing where you might have to do some technical changes or some design or something with, with an SMS, it's literally just text. Um, so there's, yeah, it's, it's really easy, a great opportunity. And, and like you say, even though it might be another two or 3%, that could be thousands of dollars a month. Yeah. And that's what makes it worth it as well as just knowing that you're converting at your maximum conversion rate. People forget that like two or 3% increase in conversion rate. It has a compounding effect on the growth rate of the business because especially if you have repeat customers, but also if you are spending money on ads significantly lowers your cost per acquisition, which allows your advertising campaigns to be that much more scalable. So these are big deal things. Yeah. A couple, you know, uh, pips on the percentage conversion rate makes a, makes a big difference. Um, compounding growth over time. And then one thing on split testing, uh, Google optimizes free for up to five tests in some amount of traffic numbers, and it's pretty easy to install and use. So I do, I, I like to recommend most merchants start there before moving to a paid platform like Optimizely or what is it? V, I always say VRBO. What is it? VWO? VWO, yeah, yeah, VWO. I, I, for some reason, I always get it confused with VRBO, which is like a, a vacation rental company. So it's like, right. <laughs> I, we, we don't allow acronyms in my in my uh, company. So anytime I get to an acronym state, I'm an idiot. All right. <laughs> um, do you see any any trends coming in the way with how businesses use third party tools or approach them, or is there? Do you think there's a shift towards or away from doing stuff in house? I think uh, we're moving away from more in-house solutions. Uh, now, as a brand gr grows and complexity is reached, there are certain things that still need to be built that just need to be custom built in-house for the brand because of what they what their specific needs are so unique to them and it'll never, never be a tool. But like no brand should be doing SMS in-house. No brand should be creating their own pop-ups or post-purchase flows in-house. There's the tools are going to be better than uh, from a cost-effective standpoint than them. So most of these things, you know, email email marketing. If you're a smart person, you can set up your own server and send emails in mass and and think that you're saving money. But like the value that the platform provides, especially a customer data platform or a you know a CRM or an email service provider, whatever you want to call these things that that can house all that customer data and integrate it with multiple different places. Trying to do all that over again just doesn't make financial sense for the company. Pay the monthly fee and let somebody else manage the the servers and the integrations and the upkeep of those of those systems. So I think we're definitely going to see um, more uh, proper use of third-party tools and less building it on our own. And I, I come from, when I was at the Beauty Box subscription, I mean, they tried to do so many things on their own. It was just so painful. I'm talking millions of dollars in revenue used to create and maintain systems that you could have just, you know, been on Shopify and <laughs> for basically, yeah. you know, Shopify at $2,000 a month, right? Plus or whatever. And so it was, it was very painstaking and, and, and is, it felt like, you know, just doing it like the world was, you know, 1999 instead of 2021, I guess. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and the, the other side of this that's making it better to use tools is the consolidation of the market. Now, there's still quite a proliferation going on, meaning more tools are launching every day and there's more fragmentation occurring in many markets at the, let's say, lower end or in technical perspective. 
But at the higher end, the more established and larger tools are consolidating. They're either acquiring others uh, in other spaces and building this quote all in one tool. None of them are actually all in one, but they're getting more in one. And then, and that makes them more powerful. And it's better to go to one place and get your, you know, email, SMS reviews and loyalty all in one for an example. Um, and, and so that's, that's easier to do now. It was harder to do it in the beginning, like 10, 15 years ago, because you'd have to build uh, four companies, right, in order to get it done. So as we see the consolidation, it gets strong. They get stronger, and more powerful, which makes building in-house a lot more impractical. And it also makes it harder to enter any of those spaces because any incumbent is is already going to be worse off than this large player in the space. So we see this form of consolidation being very beneficial to brands as well as edging out other app and technology uh, companies. So it's making it harder to enter the market. Yeah, I, I've been in these companies that try to do everything themselves. Um, and as a, as, a, as a marketer, it's a bit of a nightmare. Um, these weren't Shopify, though. So it wasn't a case of, well, we can just go into the marketplace and click install. Um, it, it was, you know, there were technical integrations that had to be done. But you're still trying to make the argument that, look, we can either wait six months for you to build this at the expense of doing anything on the actual product. <laughs> um Plus, then you've got to maintain it. You're responsible for security. You're responsible for the the upgrades and new features that we'll also want. Or we can spend a fraction of the money every month on a platform that already exists. And who for that same fraction of the cost is going to do all that maintenance and upgrades and security and everything. Um, and it's still surprising that some tech teams still want to go ahead and, and build the whole email platform or 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 referral tool or something like that. Sometimes they're building their own inventory management system. Holy cow, those things are so complex. And it's like, well, we have three warehouses and they're in you know two different continents and we have to manage it. We need a system that just integrates them. It's like, guys, there are solutions, out-of-the-box solutions that can solve this problem. Uh, like, have you considered those? <laughs> yeah. Um just so just before we uh before we finish up, do you do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Um, probably like as as a consumer, let's say, so stuff you actually see and exposed yeah. to as as a as a buyer. And I, I just posted one on my LinkedIn the other day. Uh, let's start at the top with we centric marketing is still really frustrating for me. We help brands do this, that, and the other thing, um, and oftentimes it, that correlates directly to missing the what I'd call the desired outcome state. So uh, people really talk about them and all the features they have instead of talking about me as the consumer or as, you know, the business, whatever, you know, either B2B or B2C, depending on what product or thing I'm reading, um, making sure that I understand where I'm going to be. I, you know, my job is to demo technology products and both when reviewing their website and in the demo, sometimes I don't even know what they do to the last five minutes of the demo. This is a big problem if they, if you can't explain yourself concisely and where the value is, especially the value metric that you want to change in my life. That's most specifically on the B2B side. Then, then you're going to, you're going to have a hard time on the B2C side. You really need to convince me that, you know, I'm going to have a great day. I'm going to be a happy person before I buy this product. And I don't think people are doing that particularly well. The thing that I posted on LinkedIn, I said, uh, attention marketers using the the phrase, I've got 99 problems, but X ain't one is officially uncool. <laughs> you can stop doing this. I'm giving everyone permission today that you shouldn't be referencing like a very misogynistic like lyric as part of your brand and marketing strategy. It's not cool. Everyone's done it, and unfortunately. And um, and the song is actually 17 years old. So it's, it's time to quit. God, is it really that old? Well, I was, I was I was talking about um oh so I, I put on um have you heard of extras the TV show? Uh yeah, a, but I have never Brit watched it. It's a British show. Um I I I'd never watched it before, so I put the first episode on the other day and they reference so Ben Stiller was in it and he references Dodgeball. And I was like, no way, this this show must be older than Dodgeball. Dodgeball was 2004. <laughs> yeah. I, I was there thinking like it must be like 2011, 12, something like that. No. 2004. It's so long ago. <laughs> it's, see, it's a timeless classic. It sticks with you. <laughs> oh, it's an amazing film. <laughs> um, any others? Any other pet peeves? Um, you probably have got loads. You're a marketer. We, we've always we've all got loads, haven't we? I, I kind of hinted at it in the in the sales process where 
people bury the lead very often. So if you're an app, uh, one of the reasons I created e-commerce tech was because I felt I could sell better than a lot of the other, than the technology companies. A lot of technology companies have very powerful technology built by developers, but not really a good salesperson in that development team. And so they end up falling flat on, on the sales side of their business. When in fact, like, you know, sales to me is about connecting somebody with something they'll benefit from. And you should never be, you know, force feeding your solution down somebody's throat. It should be, is this going to provide value for you? Once you identify it's going to provide value for them, then you have to be like, guys, I know this is going to make you money. Let me convince you how, let me yep. show you how it's going to work. And Unfortunately, um, a lot of sales demos are just like, here is our dashboard, here is our analytics, here is feature A, here is feature B, here is feature C, the end. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wait, how do I how do I make money? How much money am I going to make? Show me something exciting. Like, how is this going to change my world? And why can't I, why, why do I have to commit to it today? Like, so I think a lot of, there's there's some, some left, something to be left to do to be desired. Also, I think a sales demo could be five minutes long and get across about the other 55 minutes. <laughs> so if you can, you can condense it down significantly and save merchants a lot of time since they're already out of time. Yeah. It's surprising that the number of sales demos, which are, are basically step-by-step -step walkthroughs of how to use the platform. Yeah. That's but customer that's, success. That's yeah, not what you yeah. need at that stage. You need to know, how's this thing going to make me money? Like, what does yeah. it look like? I suppose you, you want to know how easy it is to use, but I'm trying um, to figure out why it's different than the other tools in the space and why they yeah. think they have a chance at succeeding in the market. <laughs> like I, I tear people apart. I tear them like in these demos, I tear them apart on their pricing. I tear them apart on their presentation. And when people do good, I also commend them. Uh, oh, also here. Okay. Here's a big pet peeve. Uh, I'm glad we're, <laughs> we're talking about this still. Um, have you ever heard this line from, uh, from for, stop me if you've heard this one before. We have the best customer service in the industry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone thinks they have the best customer every, service. Every business does. <laughs> Everyone has the best customer service, right? So it's like, okay, if everyone says they have the best customer service, um, then, then maybe you guys all just have equivocal, very good customer service, and well, that's not a talk. I, I've got to say, most of the time, I think it sucks. On, on B2B. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you go and actually experience it and you're like, no, I don't think you have the best customer service. The B2B side, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think a lot of B2C custom, uh, companies do do customer service very well. Um, but on the B2B side, I don't think many do it like even like just okay. There's, yeah. no, there's almost no, um, there's no personal approach to it. You almost never get them responding as if they've looked at your account and understood the problem and then they're responding to you because of your specific problem it tends to be a generic um you know let's take the example of a a social media platform or something uh, like scheduling tool uh, how do i go about scheduling a tweet uh, a tweet specifically and you basically just get like a one line uh response of this is what you do and it'll be, but it'll be such a generic, like it'll be the instruction for what to do rather than acknowledging the specific problem you've had in, in scheduling that tweet and how you should fix it. I'll, I'll give you one even worse than this. Okay. I'm logged into the back end of the app. I have a question to the company, a serious question. And the first thing they I know what you're going to say, I know what, you're what is say. my account number or yeah. what, what is the name on the account? What is your first name? What is your email? I, I'm logged in. You yeah. are a technology company. <laughs> Figure out what my back end is. Get in here. <laughs> like they should know uh, well before I start the conversation who I am and what, what, where, what page I'm on and, and, you know, where I'm getting hung up. Like, yeah, there, there. I think there is a, um, there is a sub market there, and I, I've seen some technology tools entering this space. But of these onboarding and activation tools that make sure that success, customer success, and customer service have a better understanding of where somebody is at and where they're getting stuck. So hopefully one day, this will be solved in a in a in the B two B sense, and yeah, on the B two C side as well. I do think that. Um, maybe only 10% of brands have that stellar customer service, but it's, I think 40% of brands are saying they have stellar customer service. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's, I mean, it's the same with most areas of marketing and business. I think everyone rates them. With that, I think it's literally the case in pretty much absolutely everything. Everyone rates themselves above average. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Who here thinks they're smarter than the rest of the room, right? Yes, that yeah. question. <laughs> um, so that last example reminded me of um, when I was dealing with a bank account. Uh, what was I trying to do? Um, trying to get a pen number or a new card or something. Um, yeah, I think I was getting a new card. I logged in, clicked the customer support button, which is there. Customer support said, we can't see that you're logged in, so you need to log out, log back in. And restart the chat. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this that's really, really frustrating because I've had to wait 10 minutes to get on chat, but okay. I did that, logged back in, and they said the exact same thing. We can't tell that you're logged in. You need to log out. So I said, well, I've just done that because you've told me to. And basically what I had to do was log in, then click on a specific button within my account, and then launch the chat. Man. And only if I did that were they able to actually see my account section as part of that chat. So yeah. they just I somehow overly secured it. And in the end, I managed to set up a newer bank account and complete the switch to that bank account quicker than the bank that I had a problem with managed to get the new card to me. <laughs> and it, in fact, actually, because in the switch process, you close the bank account, on the same day, I got the new card and the letter from that bank saying, we're sorry to hear you've closed your account. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is um, a clear. This is exactly where there's an opportunity within customer service to analyze the tickets and understand where are drop-off points and look at the tickets that lead to the highest churn or lowest repeat purchase customers. So a really simple analysis, if you've got a few years of data, can actually do this for you. If you've got a good help desk and you've got good analytics and integrations, you can see, oh my God, these tickets tend to lead to no repeat purchase. These tickets are being resolved very well and, and lead to higher retention than our average retention rate. Right. And once you figure out um, even just like three times, it doesn't need to be a large pattern, but kind of like in your example, once you figure out there's some sort of key blocker there, then you have to go back into product. And this applies on both uh, e-commerce side and on the technology side. The um, you, you see that there's a blocker there and you go, OK, if we remove this blocker, we'll save 10 percent of our customer service inquiries. Therefore, our cost of customer service goes down and we'll save this, you know, these customers. So this is a huge you know, and it could be something as simple as an FAQ or a size guide or or just um, an arrow to the button or making sure the chat is secure prior or changing literally the auto response to include a link or a line or just sometimes it's really small and it can save you huge revenue in the company. And somebody's got to be monitoring that and improving that system. It's usually ahead of customer success, could be ahead of product, it could be somebody else in the company, it could be the CEO, but having a process in place to analyze where people are getting hung up with your product, what, like I said, whether B2B or B2C, and then uh, unleashing or unlocking those blockers. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, customer service is so underrated. Um, it, I mean, it's seen as a cost center by so many businesses where actually it's it just feeds back into your business. It should be feeding back into the business like everywhere constantly. Um, whether you're you're changing your advertising, or um, or trying to update product pages or FAQs and things like, there's so much information that comes through that team that can be used to improve so many aspects of the business. Yeah, they should be leading the organization because they have firsthand you know conversations with customers. But instead, they're usually tucked away in some corner and and I don't know treated like lesser employees. Well, I'll give you a really specific example in the Beauty Box subscription. Um, we realized really quickly that when we launched a marketing campaign, it created a plethora of customer service inquiries around it. So we worked with the customer service team to understand what those inquiries were and how to mitigate them with on-site copy as well as email copy. And one of the things we found was that our coupon codes weren't automatically applying at checkout, right? And this was a big problem, caused inquiries and it caused blockage. Once we solved that problem, conversion rates went through the roof and customer service inquiries dropped. Like, so it yeah. was just like one of those things where if you're not paying close attention to it, it can, it can just flop the business. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had one, one company where, because it was in car rental, we had to get a very specific piece of um, per, like personal data off people. Uh, and even I, so before I joined that business, I'd never even heard of a DVLA, DVLA check code, which is the, the code that the DVLA provides you to say, uh, to give to a company and it says 
this is how many points this person has on their license. This is why they have points. Have they been fined? Have they been banned? It's, like, it's like basically your driving record. I'd never heard of this. And uh, the way they asked for it in the app just was was pretty terrible. And eventually we got this onboarding guy in to, to phone up every user who signed up and try and guide them through this process. And by doing that, we gradually built up that feedback we needed to build out the function within the app that would help people do it so easily. Nice. Nice. Um, unfortunately, you, there's no integration possible. So we still had to have these customers go to the DVL, DVLA site, get the code themselves and bring it over. But we just yeah. we built the app in a way that just made it so much easier. Um, I, but, but I have a similar problem, actually, because I have to scrape. I have to understand the apps that a, a, a merchant has installed on their store, and there's no actual open Shopify API to pull that data. So it has to be pulled manually. So it's... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that's a bit, yeah, a little bit time consuming. Um, cool. Well, I mean, this has been awesome stuff, Derek. Uh, it was like super helpful. Um, uh, definitely if you're a Shopify merchant, but also for any business, really, just working out what, what tools to use at the right times. Um, if people want to find out more or get in touch, what's the best way of doing that? You can head over to ecommercetech.io. If you're a merchant, just fill out the free consult form. There's, It's no pressure. There's nothing we sell you. It's about an hour of time and we map out what tools you're using, if there's overlap, if there's underutilized tools, and then what opportunities uh, are, are present to you uh, now and into the future. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. You could just drop by to say hello, whatever. Uh, I, I'm always around. Awesome. Brilliant. Thank you so much. As you heard, it's really important to give this a bit of thought and consideration. It's tempting to jump on a tool quite quickly, but if you get it wrong, you might just waste a load of money or you might find yourself replatforming shortly after to something more suitable. This takes up time and money that could be spent uh, elsewhere. Really do think about the stage your business is at, how you're going to be scaling uh, you know what speed, how quickly you uh, you want to be able to scale up the business, what resource you have available to manage the tool, and even your current tool's capabilities to make sure you pick the right new one to complement them. You might find that some key functions are covered by something you already have, or you might just find that the new tool doesn't integrate very well with something that you have and love. Do the research, prepare yourself properly, you'll be all right. And if you've got any questions, just head over to ecommercetech.io or reach out to Derek on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, uh, send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Dan Burkle with me, and we're going to be talking about subscription models and how this space has grown over the years. But until then, keep those customers clicking.